Welcome to Political Zach, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Doing well. I'm joining you from Los Angeles today. Awesome. You're joining from the undisclosed location. Yes. And sorry to all you listeners that we our timing is not as crisp this week, doing it on a Tuesday instead of Sunday, but hey, you get what you pay hey, for. You, you get what you pay for, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our, our, our first topic I want to raise is uh, Utah Congressman Blake Moore has just won a leadership position in the United States Congress. That is vice chair of the Republican Conference. Now, this is not necessarily like a, a front burner position. You know, not a lot of people are still going to probably learn his name or anything, but it is the position that the current speaker held when he was voted in as speaker. So Mike Johnson was the former vice chair of the Republican conference. Um, Mike Johnson from, uh, from Louisiana. And now he obviously is the speaker. And usually this is viewed as a, as the first stepping stone for someone who has leadership ambitions. There's about uh, five positions and, you know, you start with this one and then you hopefully move up. Now we've seen lately people, you know, not, people aren't necessarily moving up in order like they necessarily have in the past. But still, I think this is a kind of a big deal. And I think, you know, Blake Moore has quietly become someone who is who is uh, young in his tenure, but is actually making moves that are interesting. First, he uh, joined the Ways and Means, Com- Ways and Means Committee. And, and I think that's a big deal. I mean, I worked in uh, you know D.C. for many years, and and Ways and Means is is definitely viewed as the the center of m- most of the most important action, and that's really because of tax, because of healthcare, uh, social security. Some of our some of the biggest um, spending and money issues are happening at Ways and Means, and and I mean he did give up his his spot on armed services to do it which, you know, was interesting, but I do think that that's a really great committee to be on and, and it puts you in the center of the action. And now he's vice chair of the conference. So, so he's someone who's, who's on the move and I think, you know, doing it quietly, but um, you know, starting to create a reputation for himself. Yeah, this is a great vote of confidence. I mean, he's only in a second term. He's a young guy. He's, I don't know, is he 40? Is he 39? He's, you know, late thirties maybe maybe early 40s. Um, the reason I bring up his age is because he's young enough that he could spend 10 or 15 years, you know, uh, longer in the house or, or, you know, pull a Jim Hansen or a Rob Bishop and go 20 or close to 20 years. And he's now in a position that if he stays there for 10 or 15 years, he could become speaker. Now that that is dependent on a lot, a lot of things, including the Republicans, you know, winning or keeping or winning in the future, a majority of the, you know, of, of the House, which, you know, it seems like they've been doing everything possible this year to make sure they don't win a majority of the House ever again. Um, and this probably is a bigger deal um, today than it would have been two months ago because the last speaker happened to be the vice chair of of of, of this conference. And, you know, I don't I mean, I don't have the connections in D.C. that you do um Corey but I had never heard of Mike Johnson before a month or so ago yeah um, and so I think your point is well taken it's not like 
Blake Moore is going to be a household word in Kentucky and Maine, but he is, he's now kind of in, in, in a mover and shaker, you know, in the, in, in, in the house, at least on the Republican side. And that does position him for a possible speakership down the road, you know, whether that's going to be four years down the road or 20 years down the road, it, it's hard to say. I mean, look at how long Nancy Pelosi was, you know, the leader of the Democrats in the House. I, was it 15 years? Was it 20 years? It was a, yeah, it was a yeah. really long time. And so if Mike Johnson or the next speaker, you know, who who would become minority leader if, if the Democrats took back control, you know, um, I expected Kevin McCarthy would be in there for several years. And of course, you know, Matt Gates put an end to that and then filed an ethics complaint against him this week, which, you know, Find someone, Corey, who is as passionate about you as Matt Gates is about Kevin McCarthy. But yeah. in any event, um, it's not like Blake Moore is likely to be the next speaker or going to be speaker in two years. But everything's gone crazy back there. And so who knows? Uh, but yep. this is good for Blake Moore. And I think it's good for the state of Utah in a roundabout way. And I, I was critical of Blake, you know, last January when he uh, vacated his post on um the Armed Services Committee, because I, I felt like he wasn't keeping his commitment um, to Hill Air Force. And I've talked to Blake about that since then. I've kind of softened my position a little bit. But this kind of shows that he took a gamble and it, and it paid off for him. So good for Blake Moore and good for the state of Utah. Yep. Yep. I think so. And so, um, yeah, one final note. So it's kind of an escalator that you start on. And so whether it becomes speaker, I mean, that's, there's a lot of, you know, football left to be played there, but you certainly, you know, the next step would be to become the conference chair. And, and then, you know, you're that that's so vice, when you're talking about the conference chair and the vice chair of a conference, their, their duty is to focus on messaging, the messaging for the, for the caucus. So, so you're right in the middle of, um, you know, creating what's, what's, what's the message for all Republicans in Congress and, and its important position. And uh, and it's worth noting, too, that when you're talking about leadership, like this is not something that's voted on by, you know, the people. This means that his colleagues have, you know, faith in him. So, so that yeah. is saying something. And, you know, the new colleagues that show up now over the next year, <laughs> two, three, four years, they're just going to see him as a leadership position. That's, you know, so because he's young and he can and he can stay there and move up, um, I do think he he probably has a bright future, and I wonder, Corey, if that doesn't if that hasn't factored into John Curtis's decision to rethink a Senate run. I know a lot of people are calling John and asking him, but with Blake's ascension into House leadership, at least on the GOP leadership, that kind of boxes out you know John Curtis in the House because Utah is a small enough state that we're not going to get. You know, we're not going to get two people out of our four congressmen and leadership. So I, I wonder and I'm just speculating that maybe that's made him maybe reconsider his his decision to not run for Mitt Romney's seat. What, what do you think? Yeah, that's really interesting. So let's move to that topic. We know we, we've talked about this before that uh, that John Curtis had had told people that he was 90% sure that he was going to get into the Senate race. And then two days later, he announced that he was not going to run. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time, you know, we kind of speculated, why would that be? And, and then, and then I've spoken with several other people, including uh, other candidates in the, in the Senate race. And there, and many people thought that he would change his mind. Um, and it looks like he may. So he said, 
uh, in his statement. He said, because so many Utahns have asked me to, I'm taking a fresh look. As part of that evaluation, I'm considering not only what is best for me and my family, but what's best for my current district and for our state. I'm counseling with friends, supporters, and my team. So I've heard him say, and of course, and his and, and the folks on his team say many times that he's got the best committee in the house. Why would he want to give that up? And so just for a review, he's on um, the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and that is a pretty good one. I mean, I would say definitely Ways and Means is the best, um, probably by a long mile. But but uh, Energy and Commerce is is a good a good solid second best, and and uh, because you get to do some healthcare, it's a lot of tech stuff. It's um, the uh, you also have energy issues. So it covers kind of a wide swath of the economy. It's very commerce, you know, oriented and, and a lot of folks on that committee, I mean, they really use it to, uh, for, for tech stuff. Um, and, you know, it's easy to fundraise from tech, com- tech companies from there as well. There is some fun stuff that's happening there. And he, he, so he said, well, why, why would I want to give that up? And, and, and I think that there's something to that, but, um, you know, having worked in the Senate myself, like um, every Senator has, <laughs> has the ability to handle, to work on any of those issues if they want to, even if they're not on the committee, it's much harder in the house, of course, kind of in the, in the U S house, you kind of need to be on that committee in order to work on that issue, whatever that issue might be, you know? And so we were just talking about tech issues or, you know, whatever, and you're probably not gonna be able to do that from the, from the resources committee. You know, you basically need to be on the energy and commerce committee to do it in the U S Senate. Like they don't actually care. Like some, you can be on the committee or not be on the committee. Usually it's easy to get on whatever committees you want to get on, Finances are probably the only one that has a line. Other than that, if you want to join the banking committee or you want to join the commerce committee, you can basically do it. And even if you're not on the committee, you can work on those issues anytime you want. <laughs> and Todd, I'm sure you experienced that as a state senator as well. It's like you just have a lot more of um, flexibility to work on basically any issue, and, and it's not viewed as like, oh no, you have to stay kind of in your sandbox. Yeah, for sure. So, so that would be a real opportunity for him but i i hadn't thought i mean what you just raised as far as like blake moore and how that plays with with john um i hadn't thought of that so i think that's you know that's an interesting factor well, i mean he's probably looking at the field and saying like um maybe i can win this and <laughs> maybe he was well, thinking he I, might not I, before. I think if he announces for mitt romney seat Corey, i think he instantly becomes the front runner and I don't say that lightly. I, I'm a big Brad Wilson fan. I've known Brad Wilson for almost, well, 15 years. Worked with him in the legislature for 10 or 12 now. And um, I think the people that know Brad really like him, really trust him, really respect him. But I think that this really um, just emphasizes the fact that people don't really know Brad Wilson. I mean, he is, he is a, a representative. He's been Speaker of the House for four years. Um, but that's kind of an internal thing. He was elected speaker by, you know, 35 other Republicans or 40 other Republican legislators, but he only represents one 75th of the state. You know, that's the Kaysville, Layton area. And, um, you know, I have people that um, are, you know, the, I've had several people reach out to me and say, what's your take on Brad Wilson? And I give them this glowing endorsement and they say, well, I'm not really sold on him yet. And I mm-hmm. think that's what Curtis is hearing as well is brad's not you know he's not a household name Uh, he's known he's known and he is a name that's recognizable to people that follow politics um but um um you know i i think that there is kind of a feeling you know we went from orrin hatch to 
to um, Mitt Romney. Um, so Orrin Hatch is, you know, when he ran, of course, in the 70s, he was a unknown, but he became a household name. And so I just think it's a, more of an indication that this is a wide open race for U.S. Senate. And um, th there's a lot of people that are, I think, telling John Curtis, you're, you're stupid not to run for this. Now, if he runs and loses to Brad, then he's out of Congress, of course. Um, but, you know, if I were Brad Wilson or his campaign manager, I would not want John Curtis in the race because I think it makes it a much tougher race for Brad Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. It would definitely be much more competitive. And, <laughs> and of and course, I, we have Trent Staggs and Carolyn Fippen and these other candidates. And I, I'm not trying to ignore them, but I don't think anyone could say that they are a front runner. I think right now, Brad Wilson's the front runner. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think actually for Karen, Carolyn and Trent too, like it's not, I, I don't know that they're hoping that Curtis gets in either because <laughs> on the one hand you'd say, well, they're going to, you know, Curtis and, and Brad Wilson are going to split votes. I'm not entirely sure that's true. And I, and I definitely think that Curtis is going to have a lot of strength in Utah County. Uh, there's plenty of people in Utah County that don't like him, but there's a whole lot who do. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and know who he is and he was mayor of Provo and everything. So. And remember uh, Curtis ran for the legislature as a Democrat. He was uh, 20 years ago. He was the head of the Utah democratic party for Utah County. Um, he claims he did that so that, you know, he said, I've always really been a Republican, but I just wanted to be, some competition but somehow he's kind of overcome that yeah you know um uh, you know less charismatic candidates in utah county would never have been able to shed that you know that democratic clothing i think his wife um who's lovely is from a, a democratic family i think mm -hmm. um and so that has some influence on him but um curtis is not the most conservative member of the house from utah i would give that you know to probably burgess owens now um um and uh, you know, Chris Stewart would have been in the Chris. running for that, but he's resigned. And so the I I think the the hard far right in Utah County doesn't love John Curtis. They probably like him because he's such a nice guy. But you know, that group that kind of has sometimes an, an amplified voice in the caucus system, they don't usually carry the day when it comes to a primary or a general election. And so I'm tending to agree with you. Um, not everybody loves him and he's gonna have his enemies, but I think. The, the man on the street Republican likes John Curtis and, and there's a lot there to like. Yeah. And I, and I think, uh, so I agree with all that for sure. And, and it'll be interesting. I, I would assume that if he does run, he would collect signatures because of, um, oh, yeah. I mean, he oh, had yeah. a close call this last time. And I think basically said, I'm never doing that again. So well, um, not only that, but the very first time he ran um, and won, uh, you know, he finished ninth out of, I think, I think he finished with 9% at convention. So if it wasn't for his signatures, he would never have gotten to Congress. Yeah. And it surprised me last time that he didn't collect signatures. And yeah, I don't think he'll make that mistake again. So let's move on to the next, uh, the governor's race. So we kind of knew this was going to happen, but we, but he, uh, Phil Lyman, who's in his third term, in the of the Utah House is a House of Representatives, Bill Lyman from Blanding. He's a former San Juan County Commissioner. He had been flirting with it, and and I think this past week announced that he's he's running for governor. Uh, should Cox be worried, Todd? Well, I, you know, Phil is um, he's actually a really nice guy. I, I'm constantly defending him to people that don't know him because he is a, a little bit bombastic in the media. Um, he's he's a he's kind of a boring CPA when he's not like, you know, in front of a microphone, you know, 
uh, railing against the federal government. He's 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 always got a smile on his face. I, I like to be around Phil Lyman. Um, with that said, um, he does kind of appeal to what I'm going to call the Ammon Bundy crowd. You know, he kind of runs in those circles. I think, you know, the election denier crowd will like Phil Lyman um, and the far right will like Phil Lyman. Um, he's a good guy. He's a competent guy. Um, you didn't mention this, but he was a county commissioner, I think, for a couple cycles. Um, and, and he's kind of Utah famous because, you know, he led this ATV rebellion and, and got arrested uh, for driving on an old trail that, you know, the federal government was saying was not a trail. And then actually, I think, served a couple of days in jail and then got pardoned by Donald Trump, you know, on Donald Trump's last days in office. I mean, I think he's the only Utah um you know, in recent memory, who's been pardoned by any president, but certainly, you know, by a Republican president. And so he kind of has this fame and his lore. And I think, you know, his his name is kind of known for good and evil, if you know, if you know what I mean, because I think a lot of people don't like him because he's a little bit controversial. And a lot of people do like him because he's controversial. But to your question, I don't think um, I don't think he's going to beat um Spencer Cox, and maybe that's my own bias because I'm I'm kind of a Team Cox guy. I'm not anti Phil at all, but I I see him getting you know he'll probably get a lot of traction with the delegates and convention, at least a certain element of the delegates. I don't see him winning the primary. Uh, I don't think he appeals to the mainstream um, you know Republican voter. And you know Cox is a, a relatively popular governor and. Sometimes conservatives are mad at him because he's not conservative enough. And sometimes, um, you know, independents are mad at him because he's too conservative, which kind of tells me he's probably striking the right balance for Utah. So um, but 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 Phil, make no mistake, Phil, Phil Lyman will run from Cox from the right. And um, I think he'll run, you know, a, a campaign that, you know, will appeal to a lot of Mike Lee's base. And and so that's why I think, he'll, you know, it wouldn't be it wouldn't shock me if Phil beat him at at the Republican convention next April, but then lost in the primary. Yeah. Yeah. That really sounds right to me. And I, um, I don't know much about him except I do know that his, his ATV, um, episode and it seemed like a pretty cool thing <laughs> to me. So I appreciate him for doing that. Um, it's, but- my, it's my understanding that, um, he kind of had this standoff. He was making kind of nominal payments on this. I think he got like a, $45,000 fine for that case. Whoa. And there was this real push by the federal government. If, if I, you know, if, if I understand, if I read the tea leaves correctly. And so he, I don't know what he did, but he went in and he paid off that whole amount just weeks before Trump pardoned him. And had he not paid that off, he could have saved himself $45,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a yeah. story. But, you know, a pardon is always, you know, kind of a shot in the dark. You never know. If yeah. Gonna... Yeah. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, being from Blanding, if anyone, some of our listeners have been there, a lot of them probably haven't. It's, uh, it's far away. <laughs> well, it's far away. And like, it's two gas stations and, you know, a diner and that's about it. So yeah, yeah. like, if you go to the gas station, the bowling alley's in the gas station. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not making that up. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, and last time I was in Blanding, we went to this restaurant and uh, the most enormous tarantula came inside 
just walked inside the restaurant. It was like amazing. Like, do we wow. have this huge tarantulas in Utah? Anyway, whatever. Um, so it'd be tough to to run from there. And and I imagine um raising money is not gonna be the easiest thing. And you know, Cox will have millions. Um, so so I mean, Phil Lyman, I I he's not he so far I don't think he's gained the traction among the among the the more committed on the right that I thought he probably would. Um, so maybe that's just a matter of he needs to get out. Um, so I, I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure that there's still not room for another, another candidate to compete at convention. Um, although I do think that, uh, you know, beating Cox is going to be pretty darn tough. And and let me say, I, you know, I'm a Cox guy. I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm 99% sure I'll vote for Cox again next year, even though I like Phil, I like things about Phil. I'm not trying to be critical of him at all, but I think it's good um, for an incumbent governor to have a inter-party challenge. I don't think we want to live in a, in a state or a country where there's a coronation here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think it'll probably make Cox a better governor to have to kind of reach that, reach down inside of him and, 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 and be able to articulate why he, why he thinks he's entitled or deserves a second term. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think this is a bad thing for the state or for the party. Now, if Phil goes really negative, I, I might regret that and say, yeah, this is a bad thing for the party. But, you know, right now, I, I think um, I don't think anybody, including myself, is entitled to a free pass when they're asking to be reelected. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well said. I agree with that. OK, so um, another story that in, that involves Phil Lyman. So he he posted on Facebook an endorsement of Rocky Anderson. So remember, in Salt Lake City, they, they're having an election. Aaron Mendenhall is running for re-election. Rocky Anderson, blast from the past, is coming back. We've talked about that. We talked about this like earlier this year. But Phil Lyman came out and endorsed Rocky Anderson, which to me was a head-scratcher. But maybe a bigger head-scratcher is that Governor Cox like immediately – uh hopped on twitter himself and he posted he said i completely disagree with phil's endorsement of rocky anderson we need a solutions oriented mayor and not the endless dysfunction and litigation of the past which i think would have been a great statement if you just finished there <laughs> period yeah done but he went on and said i may disagree with mayor mendenhall but she is a far superior choice for salt lake city mayor than rocky anderson so basically we have our two gubernatorial candidates on on the republican side who are each endorsing their own progressive wacky salt lake city mayor candidate lyman wants rocky anderson cox wants mayor mendenhall and and just let's just remind ourselves i mean mendenhall has given us the tent cities she's given us needles all over the ground she's given us open drug use open air drug use millions of dollars um spent uh putting women's products women's period products in in men's bathrooms <laughs> she's great she's like not who i would vote for at all and it's the biggest head scratcher in history to me that why we would you know be first of all endorsing anyone who's this bad and someone said this is like choosing between syphilis and gonorrhea and i think that was well said and you're team so syphilis <laughs> <laughs> um well let me let me jump in here so first of all i need to disclose to you I represent part of Salt Lake City uh, in in the state Senate. So Salt Lake City is one of my cities. 
Um, and so because of that, I work with the mayor and the city council because we share constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with that said, um, I, 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 um, <laughs> I was at a meet the candidate night in Salt Lake County or Salt Lake City last month. So I talked to Aaron and and Rocky. And I think I mentioned here, Rocky just seemed really old to me. Um, but, um, I, 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 I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to defend the governor. So first of all, it is wacky that Phil would want to go, go down that street, that path <laughs> at all. Yeah. But I want to remind our listeners, do you know who the last Republican mayor of Salt Lake city was? Uh, geez, I have no idea. It was Jake Garn. And I think uh. he was elected in 72 or 74. And the reason I point that out is. We haven't had a, a Republican mayor of Salt Lake City in 50 years or elected, and we won't elect a Republican mayor of Salt Lake City during the rest of either of our lifetimes. And so the, the choice, and there is a third candidate who's way out there. And so the next mayor of Salt Lake is going to be either Rocky Manderson or Aaron Mendenhall. And with that said, I agree with the governor out of the two liberals <laughs> um, both of who, you know, are, are, you know, have some qualities as human beings and all of that stuff. I, I think uh, the, the far superior choice, uh, and the governor does have to work with the mayor of the capital city is, is Aaron Mendenhall. Yes, she's liberal. Yes, she's done liberal things. Rocky is probably more liberal than, than Aaron. And Aaron is a collaborative. She's a genuinely nice person. And Rocky is not. Rocky is uh, <laughs> an attention grabbing, light my hair on fire. You know, when President Bush came to Utah, when Rocky was mayor, yeah, I remember. He was literally like out on out on the street, you know, shaking his fist at his limousine, and well, not at least figuratively, he was, and was highly critical. When the job of a mayor, when the president comes, is to welcome them with open arms and hand them a key to the city and all that, even if they're from a different party, and so. Rocky ran for president a couple of years ago in a third party. He he is a wackadoodle, and 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 you've made your case that Mendenhall is as well. But of the wackadoodles, I think Mendenhall is clearly the less objectionable one. And the last thing I'll tell you is when um, her predecessor Jackie Biskupski was in the was in as mayor. Jackie was even even though she was a former le- legislator and and she, a nice person. I know Jackie. She was very defiant, very much poking her finger in the eyes of the legislature. And Aaron Mendenhall kind of went behind Jackie's back on behalf of the Salt Lake uh, City Council, struck a deal with the legislature on some important issues. And so not only has Spencer Cox effectively endorsed her now, but Gary Herbert has as well. She's she's touted <laughs> Gary Herbert's endorsement in her reelection <laughs> campaign. And, you know, as weird as it is that Phil Lyman would endorse Rocky Anderson, it's almost weirder that Aaron Mendenhall would be campaigning saying Governor Herbert's endorsed me because, you know, most of her constituents are, are liberal as well. And so it's all bizarre. But I will just say this. At the end of the day, the state legislature and the governor has to work with the mayor of the capital city. And all of us, I think, except for Phil Lyman, would rather work with Aaron Mendenhall than Rocky Anderson. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you've made a case and, and I'll take your word for it. I guess my my first impression when I read this was, I mean, if I'm, I, I don't know, I guess if I'm um, Governor Cox's political team, I look at this and say, Phil Lyman, who's, who's, who's going to champion the more committed on the right, just came out and endorsed Rocky Anderson. 
Yeah. Let's highlight that and make fun yeah, of him for it. Leave it alone. You know what I mean? That's what I would have done. I wouldn't be like, wait a minute. No, I want this other like, liberal. You know, I don't know. I'll yeah. just, I'm going to tell you a personal anecdote from one year ago. So my wife, uh, Elizabeth, she's lovely, but she's not at all political and she's very supportive of me, but she doesn't get involved in, uh, in, in politics at all. But I was invited on a trip with Aaron Mendenhall and about 20 other Salt Lake officials to Miami a year ago to study homelessness, the Miami miracle. But um, we were at a dinner. There's about 40 people there. And Aaron Mendenhall comes, gets up out of her seat, comes all the way around the table, kneels down next to my wife, who she's never met before, and just politely, quietly visits with her for like five minutes, gets to know her, tells her how pretty she looks and everything. She is genuinely a nice person. Now you can say, well, she's a politician and all that. But she is genuinely just a very nice person, and she connects with people on a human level that Rocky Anderson does not. So I'll just <laughs> share that from a personal antidote. All right. I'll take your word for it. And that's a good place to end. All right. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Corey. See you next week. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye now.